This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. This is Sparta. Because <laughs> it's 300, 300 episodes. It's also, okay, I looked some stuff up. It's also in bowling, a perfect score achieved by rolling strikes in all 10 frames. Um, it's the lowest possible Fair Isaac credit score. Um, 300 FT per second is the maximum legal speed of a shot paintball feet per second, I guess. In the Hebrew Bible... <laughs> The size of the military force deployed by the Israelite judge Gideon against the Midianites. Ooh, watch out, Midianites. Watch out. Um, according to Islamic tradition, 300 is the number of ancient Israeli king Talut's soldiers victorious against Goliath's soldiers. According to Herodotus, 300 is the number of ancient Spartans resisting one million Persian invaders. I feel like people are just kind of making this stuff up. Uh, there were some people there. Was it a lot of people? No. It was, it was like 300. It was like 300, I think. In Islamic History 300 is the number of Muhammad's followers victorious in the Battle of Bader. Uh, 300 is the number of families, followers of Jewish heretic Sabati Zevi forced to convert to Islam by the ultimate. Did you Sultan. just did, did you just look at like a list of theological this history? Is, I looked, this is the Wikipedia page for the number 300. <laughs> The little box on the side informs me that the number before this is 299 oh. and the one after is 301. Didn't know that. Um, this is Overdue. Degree. It's a podcast about the books <laughs> you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And we've been doing this. <laughs> Welcome. My new guest host, Andrew 300, is here. Uh, he is a Power Man 5000 cover band all by himself. I thought I was. I thought you were doing an Andre three thousand thing. Oh, that's what I. That would have made more sense. Andrew three hundred is the <laughs> dollar store brand. So we are here. You know, it's the number of seats in the Hellenic Parliament. Have I you heard didn't. that? Can one? you just like sprinkle the episode with those? I read all of them. I'm out. Oh well, <laughs> that's it. Okay. Okay. Um. So we are going to talk uh, to celebrate this woof milestone. We are going to talk about a woof book uh, called Twilight by Stephanie Meyer. It's a little, uh, it's an indie title. Yeah, I'm not sure uh, if you've th- heard of it. Think, yeah, I think this one's going to go far, though. I think it's got a lot of promise. Yes, just like our podcast. It's going to go far. It's got a lot of promise. Uh-huh. <laughs> it still gets going to get there. Uh, maybe one day, 300, our show will end up. What if we stopped right now? Do you think they'd put our show on the Wikipedia page for the number 300? What if, I mean, I don't think we have to stop. I think we just edit the page and see like, and say 300 is one of the episodes of the podcast overdue, which nobody expected would last even 10% this long. How long do you think that would stay on the wiki? 
before someone know, de- in Congress deleted it. I don't know. We said that Ernest Borgnine dele- invented the drink, the hurricane, <laughs> on his Wikipedia page for months and months, and nobody edited it. Yeah, it's a wild, wild west in there. Um, mm-hmm. Before we dive into the book, we've got an announcement. Andrew, we've got an announcement. What's our announcement? Well, it's coming in. I thought you were going to tell me. Oh. You're the one who got the message on the wire. Oh, I got I here I ripped it out of the fax machine. June twenty third, it's a Saturday, June twenty third, twenty eighteen, city of Philadelphia. Over dudes record a podcast live at the Philly Improv Theater as part of the Philadelphia Podcast Festival. What time is it, you say? One thirty PM. What a, what a scoop. <laughs> we got the scoop for you. Also, breaking <laughs> news, beep 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 beep. Andrew's other show, the one about television, will be there too. Appointment television, the podcast is about the TV you want to make time for. It'll be there at noon. You can watch them talk about TV and then stick around and watch us talk about books. More information is at phillypodfest.com. Is that the website? I hope so. You got it? Great. We'll keep telling you more info, but in the meantime, you can make plans to see us there at Saturday, June 23rd, 2018 at 1.30 p.m. at the Philly Improv Theater at 20-something Sansom Street in Philadelphia. Probably going to be Redwall. Haven't decided for sure. I think that's going to be it. I think that's going to be it. You know, it's not going to be Andrew Twilight because I already read it. Let's talk about it. Because we already read Twilight. (laughs) Uh, Do you want to talk about Stephanie Meyer? What? Yeah, sure. Of course. A hot new author coming up those charts. Yep. Actually, I lied. She's a well-established author whose books have been on the New York Times bestseller list for more than 143 weeks, like, altogether. If you've got a bestseller list, chances are Stephanie Meyer crushed it. (laughs) Even if it's not books or Twilight-related, she's just probably sold enough Climbing up the Billboard 100 R&B hits, Stephanie Mm -hmm. Meyer. So she was born Mm -hmm. in 1973 in Connecticut, but she was raised in Phoenix, Arizona, with five siblings. Um, and she got her BA in English from Brigham Young University in 1997. She did move from Phoenix to, oh, what is the town? I wrote it down. It's like Prevo, Utah or Provo, Utah, something like that. Um, that's I, only know f- I only know Phoenix and Forks, the two Twilight towns. That's true. That's that's them. Um, the tale of two cities. She has, uh, she has a husband that she met. I think what she, she didn't meet him. I don't think they knew they were going to start dating when they were four, but I think they met when they were four. Uh, I only bring him up because his name is Christian. And as we all know, the Fifty Shades books are based on the Twilight books. Right. Sort of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that we're guy's talk about name that a little is bit more Christian later. Gray. And I just thought that that was pretty serendipitous. <laughs> Uh, she's also a member of the Church of Latter-day Saints, which we will bring up a little bit later with, uh, vis-a-vis this book and Mormonism, right? Um, which comes up. Yeah. And she wasn't really like, a, she wasn't an aspiring author from what I could tell before this book happened, Andrew. Yeah. So the urban legend is that sometime <laughs> in 2003, one, to- one chapter of the book Twilight came to her in a dream. Basically, yes. It was about a vampire boy who was horny for a regular human girl. Yes. But he wouldn't drink her blood. Yes. Even though he wanted to really bad. Yes. And she wanted (laughs) him to also. Yeah. Uh, So she wrote about that and she just wrote and wrote and wrote about it. And her sister is like, why don't you try and publish this? And so long story short, 
sometime later, the first book published in 2005. That's yeah. the one we read. Yes. And then there are sequels, New Moon, Eclipse, and New Dawn, published in 2006. Do you mean, do you mean Breaking Dawn? I might mean Breaking Dawn. <laughs> My notes might have con- might contain a transcription error. <laughs> New Moon, Eclipse, and Breaking Dawn, published in 06, 07, and 08. And then these were all uh, the basis for a series of movies. It was five movies with one book per movie until Breaking Dawn, which was two movies. Yeah. <laughs> and those wrapped up in 2012. Yeah. So the first book, she sent out 15 letters to different agencies. She got rejected nine times. Um, and then at one publisher or one literary house at Writer's House, um, someone read the manuscript sort of by accident. Like, her manuscript was way too long for a YA book, but this person didn't know that, so they read it anyway and said, this is a good book, let's buy it. And the rest is history. Um, (laughs) Eight publishers competed at it for auction. Apparently, Andrew, Twilight was not its original title. This is from Stephanie Meyer's website. Its original title was Forks, (laughs) which sucks. (laughs) But she also mentioned that in Japan, they split the original book into three separate books, and the translations Uh for those titles are amazing. Okay, hit me. The Boy Whom I Love is a Vampire. Uh, this again. These are fun because English can't really capture what Japanese is up to. Right? So. No. If you go and put anything into Google Translate and then you translate it back to English, that's why that is the humor contained. The in other two: this. blood taste sadness. <laughs> and the vampire family in the darkness. <laughs> that's not as good as the other two. <laughs> But those Wait, are, so hit me with those again. The the, the boy, boy whom who, I love is a vampire. The boy whom I love is a vampire. Blood tastes sadness. Blood, blood tastes sadness. And the vampire family in the darkness. That is just <laughs> the the first book, Twilight. That's Did not all of them get split up into three. I don't know. I hope okay. so. Um, blood tastes. So these books were like a wild whopping success. There was a planned immediate sequel to twilight called midnight sun yeah so midnight sun is the book the first book told from the perspective of edward the boy vampire and in the twilight you primarily get from bella's perspective correct uh but and it was going to be published in like 2008 or 2009 like shortly after breaking dawn came out but like a dozen ish chapters of it leaked online and she decided i don't want to do it anymore so she quit and she <laughs> shelved it and to this day it's never been published no. though in 2015 this is wild there was okay so <laughs> this is so weird the book twilight has a picture of two hands holding a red apple on it in 2015 there is this book that came out life and death twilight reimagined with a green apple on the cover and it is just a gender swap of the first book it's not like no perspective shift like Aside from a twist at the end, the events unfold like beat for beat exactly the same. Yes. But it's a Beaufort Swan. Uh-huh. A man a boy man uh-huh. who's who's uh the, the girl whom he loves is a vampire. Edith, Edith Colin. Yeah. <laughs> and Jacob, who we meet along the way, is named Julie. So, you know, why not? Just do it. It was a tenth anniversary present to her fans. Uh-huh. Um do you what? so okay so for for midnight sun like 
E.L. James went back and did that for, and it's still in the process of doing that for each book in the Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy. Sure, sure. Like telling them from oh. Chris, Christian's perspective. Do you, I feel like there is nothing, I don't know. Is that, does that not speak to some kind of failure in the original books? Like if you feel like that story needs retold again from the perspective of one of the people in it. Yeah. Especially because well, in this book, Bella does, Bella like does so much reading of his eyes and his face and his mouth and his <laughs> voice. And she totally understands everything he's thinking and doing all the time every uh-huh. time he does it like do you think what like what why is here's the, what's the point of this so she was talking to variety in 2015 i thought you were gonna say verizon this, <laughs> she, what she was on hold with verizon in 2015 and then she got <laughs> put through to variety.com and she was talking about this project and she wrote in the foreword that it was prompted by her desire to prove that Bella isn't a damsel in distress, but a human in distress. That she then went on Good Morning America and said, it's always bothered me a little bit because anyone surrounded by superheroes is going to be in distress. We don't have the powers. I thought, what if we switched it around a bit and see how a boy does? And you know, it's about the same. So her point actually is that it is the same. <laughs> and I think I don't think you do that to this book if you're like if there doesn't come this like online what is the word I'm looking for like discourse about the gender politics of your teen vampire book. I do so I understand her intent and I definitely get what she's saying about you know, it's not that Bella's a, a delicate woman. It's because these vampires are like moving statues that sure. can run really fast. Sure. <laughs> and I'm trying to draw a line between humans and non-humans, not like genders. But the, the thing about the way these things work is that you don't have to mean to do it to do it. Yeah. Like the fact that you did, like the first time you did this story, it was that a damsel being saved by a man even though there is there is a little bit of like stereotype juggling that goes on a little bit later that we'll talk about yeah yeah but, um yeah it's a it's an but awkward yeah. it's almost <laughs> it's almost an own goal like she by by responding to that criticism by just palette swapping the gender binary she is a revealing ways in which the book is like non-specific about its characters right yeah the fact that you can you can swap bella for beaufort and have (laughs) like oh my favorite my favorite character is gone what did you do like no that's not how it goes yeah and she is she is like responding in a way that may not actually help like deal with the with the critiques of the gender stuff um so she also has written some other books after twilight series she's written working on the host series uh that first book came out in 2008 it's about, about uh, how to host a party yes seems definitely. pretty cool definitely no, that's, that's not, exactly I'm what lying. it was i'm telling um, a lie <laughs> and for it. Uh, i think another book came out the chemist in 2016 um and then i think the other the only other real thing to think about is just that like i think this book these books took off like immediately after right around when the Harry Potter series was concluding right so like there was like a cultural power vacuum right i mean i don't i don't 
I think the audience, the intended audience for Harry Potter and the intended audience for these is sufficiently different that you can't quite do that. But I do think that Harry Potter opened doors yeah. for four series of books so it's so like around the same time and i like this is just all coming off the top of my head so yep. i haven't done any research but you've got twilight you've got hunger games you've got like the girl the dragon tattoo you've got like a bunch of serialized sort of ya targeted fiction um coming Whoa. i don't know what the dragon tattoo is pretty dark i don't know <laughs> if that's ya fiction but i see where you're going I yeah. like there was there's a marketing machine. I mean, Hunger Games is pretty yes, dark no, no, no. too. Hunger Games is about teens who play a murder game, <laughs> who participate in the murder Olympics and murder each other. Uh, yes. Well, and now all the teens just play Fortnite, which is just the Hunger Games, but with colors and drakes into it. Like it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, I think there's there's like a there was a cultural, like a pop culture literary machine that was like wet just ready for twilight and like yeah like how can we how can we make ya books that also appeal have like crossover appeal to adults how can we make series that sell reliably that we can pump one out every year or so how can we optimize this like novel to movie pipeline like all these books follow in a, a template for success that i think harry potter didn't necessarily set up but definitely helped like streamline and popularize yes because then there's a there's a blueprint for people to go back and look at and be like oh yeah that's how she did it also Mm -hmm. it's worth noting that um meyer to her credit i think she set up like her own film production company that handled the the films of breaking dawn and then like the the film of her book the host i think sure so well, like and also to 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 give um to give Rowling and Meyer and and everybody some some credit i think i'm mispronouncing it's rolling rhymes with bowling I yep rolling rhymes with rolling bowling. and everybody i i think that this like serialized fantasy fiction thing maybe was previously seen as a place for men primarily to yes. to go also true. and mm-hmm. Rolling opened a door for for women to jump in, and a lot of them did. I didn't mean to interrupt your point. No, but. no, no, no. I think that's I think that's wise. And like Meyer has also been noted as like the most popular vampire writer since Anne Rice, which I I'm not here to dispute that. Anne Rice, yeah, is suck a it, Joss Whedon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> that's what we're here to do: is take Joss Whedon down a peg. Yeah. Um, let's before we get into the book, Andrew. Do you want to celebrate our three hundo a little bit? So yeah, I already did some of that by saying all the things about the number three hundred. <laughs> did you? Okay, so the content table of contents on the number three hundred page uh-huh. is it has so section three is integer integers from three hundred one to three ninety nine. Section 3.1, the 300s, section 3.2, the 310s, section 3.3, the 320s. It just like goes through all the numbers. This isn't what I all meant. All the numbers. <laughs> I don't think. This is just what we have to look forward to. Like, oh. So when we record episode 337, well, obviously 337 is a prime number. It's a permutable prime with 373 and 733. It's also a Chen prime and a star number which is a centered figurate number that represents a centered hexagram, such as the one that Chinese checkers is played on. Oh, whoa. Sorry. I just went to a different dimension. <laughs> I got a <laughs> headache. Um, one of our listeners, Megan, sent us in a couple cool emails 
um, I attempt sort of attempting to like chronicle our vocab and weird things that we say. It we- was like framed as words that our podcast has taught her. And some of them are real human words <laughs> and some of them are just dumb things that we have said. Yeah. So like things that like I've enjoyed that we say, like we say Calvin ball a lot. It's a good shorthand. Mm-hmm. Um, we say hooplehead. Um, <laughs> at one point we said, why done it? And I don't know what book we are <laughs> talking about. I do like that though. I may, I wonder if it was one of those mysteries that we had Margaret read. I don't know. Um, so there's Kobayashi Maru on this yes. list, which I'm very glad we could teach to yep. some people. There's Netflix and Chili, which is that a typo or is that <laughs> something we That's said? something that we said. <laughs> We said joke crime at one point. Joke crime. Dunderhead is good. Um, what else? House tricks. See, this is my thing. Is I say house tricks to people all the time, and they're like, "What? Are you, literally, what are you talking about? I have no idea how to respond to this." House tricks just means what's up, except you're like a flapper in the 1920s. Um, May also sent us some notes on various words that we have pronounced differently. Um, or or argued about uh, like data versus data or smog versus smog. Um, my favorite is for San Francisco, the city or Bay Area, not Frisco, which apparently is not a thing that you say. Mm, I've been to Frisco, and I think everybody who lives there God, calls it Frisco. We're just playing the hits right now. Mm. Um, Megan also sends them some other notes about the show, and at one point pointed out like, commending us for trying to get away from the dead white man canon, uh, but pointing out that maybe like we should feel free to hit folks like Dante or like Goethe, like Goethe. Goethe. Add that to the pronunciation. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then we got a nice email from Jared asking us for five top books, perhaps. We've hit 300 books now, Andrew. What are five books that you would recommend from sh- ones that we've done shows on? Ones that we've done shows on. Do you have some? Yeah, I have a list. I do. Okay, go for it. Um, Goon Squad, Rebecca, Across a Hundred Mountains, The Passage, In the Woods, and then I. Those are all books that I've read for the show. I will also right, 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 right. Uh, crib Infinite Jest from your list. Um, and I can't recommend House of Leaves because it drove me crazy. <laughs> But, <laughs> but that that's was, also the intended effect. That is a book that I was living in for a month. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> what are what are books that you would recommend, or um, just that I, you remember fondly? I go back to The Sparrow a lot. Oh yeah. Um, I enjoyed Foundation a bunch. Um, World War Z is one that I read like way back yeah. at the start. That I would kind of like to read again because I read um, next week's episode is going to be about The Power by Naomi Alderman. And I talk a little bit about how I kind of like fiction that says what if society but cataclysm and just sure. like, chronicles how society falls apart. I find that sort of thing when done well interesting. Um, Jane Eyre was a moment for me where I really where something about literature of that era clicked with me and oh, it sure. became like more enjoyable and less like labor <laughs> yes 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 um and yeah like infinite jest is just a, a badge of pride <laughs> at this point <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, there's a, there's a ton of stuff. Um, everything we read for, um, black history month this year was, yeah, it was really was good, really great. So, um, kindred and Americana, both for me, salvage the bones, uh, the broken earth. Is that Broken Earth Trilogy? What's the first book that I read for that? Um, What's it called? Salvage the Bones? No, no. The Wait, Jemison. fifth season. The fifth, fifth season. season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah, those are good books. And, so. you know, to cap that one, I find myself thinking about things in terms of The Secret a lot. Yeah, not you've got I a think, problem. Not because I think The Secret is real, but because the logical puzzles and contortions that it, that it, Deposits mm-hmm. are just interesting to think about. Mm-hmm. Anytime somebody is thinking about something negatively, like "Oh, I don't want to break my face," I'm like, you know, you're really you're more likely to break your face now because of the secret. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'm glad that the secret has gotten you so bad. But the secret. here we are. Here we are. All right. Here's the secret. The secret is we're going to continue with this podcast. Uh huh. So Andrew, Craig, Bella Swan. Let's talk about Bella. What's her deal? What is there to talk about? So usually, okay. So if you you're listening to Overdue, it's a podcast, and you've about never the books listened, you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. You've never listened to it before, and you're like, why are these guys just like? both talking about the book i heard that they go back and forth well it's episode 300 all the rules are different and we both read this book and it's wild um bella swan is almost a person (laughs) she is a short list of qualities that (laughs) form a rough outline of a person Uh, you might i might be able to so I, i might stretch to to give Stephanie Meyer that much. So in the frequently asked questions on the Twilight section of Stephanie Meyer's website, there is a question <laughs> about why there isn't a real physical description of Bella. And she says something to the effect of so that the reader could more easily step into her shoes. So this is what this is one of the few descriptions we get of Bella from the book. I was ivory-skinned without even the excuse of blue eyes or red hair, despite the constant sunshine. I had always been slender, but soft somehow, obviously not an athlete. So, in defining her... Slender but soft somehow is like every male writer's description of every woman. So weird. I mean, she's, you know, she's soft and she's womanly, but she's not fatty, you know? Like, gross. But it's all, I'm more struck by the fact that Meyer describes her with like three knots or like three what she isn't rather than what she is. It is three what she isn't. And she says, I want the reader to to be able to put themselves in Bella's place. And that's all well and good, but like the first thing that you hit is that she is white as the driven snow. <laughs> so like, like it feels like maybe you're you're uh, you're undermining your own point there a little bit. Little bit, little bit. So Bella is a teenage girl. She is moving from Phoenix, Arizona, to Forks, Washington, Forks. Uh, to live with her father Charlie. Her parents are split up. Her mom is traveling around the country with her new husband Phil, who plays minor league baseball. And apparently, <laughs> <laughs> there's like really wonderful character touches in this book, where like characters we never meet get like 
amazing little ID tags. You like never Phil. meet Phil, but he is a minor league <laughs> baseball player, and he loves, he deeply loves an unnamed band yes. that uses a little too much bass and shrieking for Bella's tastes. Yeah, we're going to get to that. Which I assume I know like it narrows it down is. to a window of any... How do you know who the band is? I know Stephanie Meyer said who the band is. See, she could have said the name of the band in the book. <laughs> she could have said so th- once in my room, I locked the door, I dug through my desk until I found my own headphones, and I plugged them into my little CD player. I picked up a CD that Phil had given me for Christmas. It was one of his favorite bands, but they used a little too much bass and shrieking for my tastes. And then later on, she and Edward are talking about it. And I realized I'd never removed the CD Phil had given me. When I said the name of the band, he smiled crookedly, a peculiar expression in his eyes. This- he flipped open a compartment under his car's CD player, pulled out one of 30 or so CDs that were jammed into the small space, and handed it to me. This uh. is what Meyer had to say about this, Andrew. Now, I, I heard that conversation, and I was reminded of uh, contestants on Wheel of Fortune who can't say that they work for a major auto factor, manufacturer in Detroit. <laughs> um, but Stephanie Meyer said, I took that information out because I wasn't sure how long it was going to take Twilight to get published. If it took 10 years, would the band still be cool, or would it be embarrassing? Lucky for me, it didn't take that long, and the band is still quite cool, in my eyes at least. Bella is listening to Linkin Park, as I am at this very no! moment. My when I was reading the book, I thought it might have been Evanescence, but it was Lincoln Park. I gave her too much benefit of the doubt and figured it was the Pixies, but that, nope. no, that was too much. That was yep. way too much benefit of the doubt. So anyway, so Phil, we've spent a lot of time talking about Phil, and he doesn't even live in this book. So um, Bella Edward jamming out to Lincoln Park. Well, we but skip- so yeah. I bring up I bring up this band thing. To segue, I guess, into a general like lack of specificity yes. about sure. Bella, not just her appearance, but her personality, like anything that makes her tick. Um, something we get pretty early is my mom always says I was born 35 years old and that I get more middle aged every year. Um, there is a point pretty early in the book where it snows and forks. And since Bella lives in Phoenix, this is the first snow she's ever seen. And she's like, oh, snow. Yep. Which is not how, I mean, I've seen people see snow for the first time, and that's not how they feel about snow. Yeah, correct, correct. They're like, what is this powder that falls from well, the sky? It so the, <laughs> the implication is that she has spent, well, she spent summers in Forks, so maybe she never saw, hmm, yeah. No, she's, she says specifically in the book, it's the first time she sees snow. Oh, and she hates it already. Yeah, Neat. and Mike, I'm personally Team Mike, by the way. <laughs> Mike, her non-vampire, non-werewolf boy interest the boy whom I love is normal. <laughs> um, here's okay. So yes, I don't relate to people my age. Um, relate well to people. Period. She says, and this I made a note. This sets her up to like what basically just want to be a vampire. Like the second she meets a vampire, she's gonna be like, "This is cool because I don't like people. I'm Bella Swan. That's all you need to know about me." Um, she also trips on everything because she's clumsy. It's a character yeah, right. trait, I promise. Uh, clumsy. Clumsy, clumsy. <clears throat> I, I was reading something, um, I think it was on Huffington Post, actually, around when the book came out. It was an article by Sarah Seltzer um, about yeah, so the... This, I, I think I read the same one, and it's... Is it... I think it's from 2008, so it's... 
Yeah. Like the end of the end of the book series, but the movie series yes. is still getting. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Um, and talking about this clumsy thing as a like girls uncomfortable in their bodies trope that I hadn't really thought of before, but like given other books that we've read that deal with some of this kind of stuff and in particular like how some of these dynamics play out in like say the 50 shades books which we will talk about more than once i think on this podcast um that type of like oh i'm not awkward in my body and i don't have control over it this like super human man needs to like show me what to do with it or like teach me how to feel about my body it's like an int- i don't know it's an it's a wild thing <laughs> because she's like clumsy to the point where he Edward, after she like starts to know him, and, and this is the vampire boy if you've never read Twilight before. Um, but like he just all the time tells her, like, don't go and die. You're so dangerous to yourself. <laughs> like you're always body telling is her, like, weapon. be safe. I can't leave you alone because you're an infant and you'll just like crash through a glass coffee table and kill yourself. And, like, it, it's... and it's so like literally tied to the fact that she can't like walk downstairs without it being a, a problem. And it's just such a weird thing to Have throw you at someone. Considered seeing like a physical therapist yeah. about this. If that's like what I remember is. being a teen, and you're not coordinated, but it's like not good at basketball or something. Like you can still walk around. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. There is a there. Okay, so here's the one. Bella is also set up as someone who is extremely self-sacrificial. And I know that this comes up in some of the later books based on just like what I've learned through cultural cultural osmosis. Um, but there's one choice that she makes like before the action of the book begins that sends her to Forks, which is that like, so her mom just married this failed ball player or failing ball player. He's still He's being failed paid to do yet. it. He's yeah. still working through the minors. Um and she knows that her mom really wants to travel with this dude that she loves. And if Bella is home in Phoenix, like her mom won't get to do that. Her mom will stay home with her. So Bella makes the decision to go to this town that she hates uh, and live with her dad that she doesn't really have a relationship with so that her mom can go and do that. And like that's revealed when she is starting to get to know Edward and like he's asking her questions and she opens up. But that's like one of the few things where I was like, oh, Bella, that's like a cool human choice that you made that tells me something about how you feel about the people in these books. Right. Book. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's something that's set up and then not followed through on or like is followed through on in really roundabout frustrating way. ways. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, as someone whose parents split up when I was in elementary school, like, I heard that choice, and I was like, yeah, okay, that's really freaking tough. And I know people who have had to, like, even people who have to navigate, like, holidays between split families and stuff like This is a much bigger decision than that, but that is never easy. And well, so just any, anybody who decides, I will do a thing that yes. I don't necessarily want to do so I can make somebody who I love significantly more happy like that's that's very real and very relatable and i think a lot of people do that yes for sure and and it also like it also plays with the fact that we know that means she's going to a new school where she doesn't know anyone and that's a really established like teen hardship trope right where right. like okay now she's moving to podunk town 
with the school half the size. And also she's moved up the scale to her own surprise in like relative hotness. <laughs> now, so Bella is a Phoenix seven, but a Forks 10. Well, apparently. this is apparently a thing. Again, I spent a lot of time on the Stephanie Meyer website. I'll tell you that much right now. This is apparently based on what happened to Stephanie Meyer when she moved from Phoenix, Arizona or Scottsdale, wherever she was to Utah. And she was like, oh, I was a five, and then I was like a seven or eight, just based on context. And there is this, like, feeling in this town that, like, God, they've just never seen anybody who looks like Bella, but obviously... Whatever that is. Whatever (laughs) it is, because we, the reader, don't know what she looks like. (laughs) Um, But so, while she's at lunch on her first day at school, she's, like, met one or two people... I don't know. Jess. She's, she's met, met Jess. Mike. She's met Mike. She's met a dude named Eric. She will meet a guy named Tyler. Um, I think one or two other girls that uh, maybe there's one like Ashley or something. Allison. I don't know. Um, they kind of stopped being in the book about halfway through. But she sees across the lunchroom, Andrew, uh-huh. five of the hottest teens that have ever existed. Right. Three men and two women. Mm hmm. They're not eating anything. Mm-hmm. They're super pale. Uh-huh. And they're inhumanly beautiful. Okay. <laughs> like, I she they all look very sleepy, like they like they've been up all night, but she can't tear her eyes away from them. Right, because they're so beautiful. And I have a question for you. So we the reader, if you you know, obviously you pick this book up, you know there's vampires in it, you know that this is gonna be a vampire. Just like these are vamp teens that she's looking at, right? Mm-hmm. And I want to know: Does becoming a vampire make you hot, or do only hot That's people get turned into vampires? That's interesting. And I feel like if we, so I know that, like you said, through cultural osmosis, that Bella becomes a vampire later in the books. Mm. Does she become more beautiful after she gets vamped, or is it just that she's so beautiful already that she's already beautiful? Yeah, I. Mm, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I made myself cough on my own my own consternation. So I don't know. Well, it so it plays into That's a que- so that's a question I have about religion is so say you <laughs> you say you believe in heaven, right? And yeah. you die and you go to heaven. What version of you is up in heaven? Is it like 80-year-old you? Is it 20-year-old you? Like, do you get to pick? Yes. That's a great question. And so when you get vampoed, like, does it just, do you just become an idealized version of your previous self? Or It's a good what? question. It's a very good question. Because these are the Cullen kids. These are... Edward and Emmett and Rosalie and Jasper and hey, it's a vampire named Jasper. <laughs> Jasper and, the vampire. Alice. Well, my fan before before edits, Jasper was named Ronald, which I like even more. Like Ronald the vampire. Hey, <laughs> hey, my name's Ron. I'm a vampire, uh, and, and I'm here to fix your toilet. They live with uh, Doctor Carlisle Cullen and his wife Esme. I think. Is her name es- Esme, um, and they are they were all quote unquote adopted and just moved to Forks two years ago from Alaska. Uh-huh. Uh-huh, sure. Um, so yeah, they were all turned into vamps at some point. We learn, mm. um, but yeah, it's unclear if they were smoking hot 
before well, they so died. Well, so let's so okay, so let's break down the Colin family. Is the history of the Colin family is in like 1600 and something. Now Bella learns this later after she starts dating the vampire. Yeah, and she goes to like the vampire's house which is like good smart just a really smart real smart move. It's it's, yep. a, it's another like act of of uh her like self-preservation instinct failing her. I yes, don't know. sure. Um so we learned that Carlisle Colin was a guy in the 1600s and he helped i guess he was like part of witch hunts and like getting his rid of dad, monsters his dad was really into witch hunts and then his dad died and left him the family business uh-huh. <laughs> and, and so carlisle is and he is he is smart and he's good and sometimes some of the innocent people who he kills actually are monsters yes and so chasing this one monster this time he he finds that he's up against the actual for real vampire who you never hear from again, but he's so old that he's like speaking Latin. So probably he's pretty old. Yes. Or he was Catholic <laughs> or both or both. Um, so Carlisle gets bit the way vampirism works in this book, or at least the transition to vampirism is you get bit by one and they're like vampire venom takes three or so days to course through your veins. It's very painful, but then you come out of it on the other side a vampire. I do. So we're talking about things woefully out of order because Bella like learns this over the course of the book. Um, the venom thing is kind of dropped in about a scene or so before it's important. Yeah, I'm doing to this all to get back novel. around to your vampire hotness. No, question. No, no, no. And this yeah. is good. This is good. Um, they <laughs> talk about, the um the fact that you the venom process is so painful that by the time you're a vampire it's like one of the few things you remember about being human right and and they also talk about how when you become a vampire some of your strongest traits from when you were a human carry forward like and get like emphasized so like craig say if you got turned into a vampire you would like chips even more i could oh god i I love chips i would probably die as a vampire because i'd be too busy eating chips it's like but you get some of that blood salsa (laughs) yeah oh god you'd be like some sort of silicon valley vampire except silicon valley is already full of um i think i would be a sort of reverse batman what or sort of a, the Robin Hood of well, because I'd be a vigilante, but instead of of solving crimes, I would be committing crimes okay, against yes. against venture capital. Oh sure. Oh okay, I get it. So okay, so how does this turn back into hot teens? Anyway, so the deal is Carlisle he has a conscience and he really feels bad about killing people. Like he really feels really bad about it. Which is how you know he's a good vampire. Uh-huh. And so he eventually goes what the vampires in the book term uh, vegetarian, which means he only eats animals and stuff. He doesn't eat people. Yes. But he's a lonely boy because most of the other vampires around like don't feel that way. Like They're totally cool to chow down on humans. Like Carlisle for a while goes all angel and decides, oh, I'm just going to eat bad people. But he still feels bad about it. Yep. And so he's, you know, he's a doctor by trade and it's like the early 20th century. He's in a hospital, like helping people dying of some kind of plague or something. The Spanish um, flu. One of the worst plagues that's ever happened. Whatever. 
that's not important. And <laughs> he comes upon this boy who's his parents have, are dead. He knows his parents are dead because he treated them and they died. And he is going to die. Like there's nothing that medicine Correct. in that era can do to save him. And so he says, I'm so lonely. I'm going to bite this boy and make him my into boy. a member of my family. He's going to be my good vampire boy. And the rest of the family sort of gets selected in a, in a similar way. Like they, we don't, we don't hear the specific circumstances for all of them, but all of them were saved from not living at all by Carlisle. Except or Alice. Like, quote, Alice unquote, like, saved. Sh- Alice has her own thing. <laughs> yeah, Alice just like showed up somehow. So what I'm saying yes. is that when you get to choose your family like that, you oh. can institute a pretty strong no-uggos policy. <laughs> so what you're saying <laughs> is that Carlisle let a bunch of other boys die yeah in because the Spanish they were flu because they were ugly because they didn't have the post because they did looks. they didn't have otherworldly beauty okay interesting i and i guess if i were gonna okay so i've built this foundation <laughs> for assuming why all the vampires are so hot uh-huh giving carlisle the benefit of the doubt I guess somebody who was very nice to look at would maybe draw less attention than somebody who was horrible to look at. Yeah, but you because you know a monster like a ugly monster. A, everybody's looking for ugly monsters, but a beautiful monster. There's a, no. There's a spectrum though, right? We're like in between. <laughs> like where we are, from, you get to choose your own. Well, speak for yourself. Okay. One fair just try i mean we're not i just think this is carlisle saying i will build my beautiful family sure yes look at my beautiful children look that at I my made. beautiful leftover diseased children oh my who God. i made like conscripted into my vampire family <laughs> well so let's because talk. i was so lonely let's talk about edward so she meets edward bella does in biology class where we and he, all he flips out he flips out. He and he. She, so she catches him looking at her from across the lunchroom, and he seems interested. But then they have biology together, and he is like really upset about it. Yeah, and he doesn't talk to her, but she can tell that she he's just repulsed. At the end her. of the day, he is trying to change his schedule so that he cannot be in the class with her, and she catches him doing it, and he's like, "I no, I guess you can't help me. Goodbye." Well, I've tried everything. Goodbye. And then he's gone for like several days. Mm-hmm. And he comes back, and he's just real nice to her. And she's like, "What is the deal?" Also, your eyes are glowing, and he's like, "No, they're not. Sometimes, Don't worry." About <laughs> sometimes they're black, and sometimes they're like bronze. No, they're not. Don't they're like the color it. of butterscotch. He's no, like, "No, no, 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 it's totally no, 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 it's totally no, no it's totally no, no, no. Do you think the school administration knows they're vampires? Because otherwise, how would they get so much time out of school? They've Oh, that's a good question. He maybe is, this is explained. I don't know. I don't actually. I don't think it is. They are new to town, and maybe in their uh, culture, people just skip school whenever they want. No, at one point when Bella's asking her dad about the Cullens, and he's like, "Oh yeah, Doctor Carlisle, he's great. He's wonderful. We're so lucky that he's here." Also, those kids. They, we thought it was going to be a problem when all these adopted teens showed up, but they really act like a family. They go camping like every other weekend. 
and they just go camping for days at a time. They just go camping and they don't do anything else, said the sheriff of this town. Yes. Not suspecting that they have a meth lab up in the woods or not anything. At all. <laughs> um, so the big like inciting incident for their relationship, um, aside from her being like, your eyes are butterscotch, and he's like, no, they're not. No, is no, no, they're not. On the day when the snow happens, or like the next day, I guess, um, she almost gets hit by a van in the parking lot, and he saves her like the Flash meets Superman or whatever. And she doesn't quite know how he gets to her side and how he protects her from the van like he does, but he does. But he does it. And again, he's like, no, I was just standing next to you. And she's like pressing him and he gets really mad about it. And she starts dreaming about him, but he doesn't want to talk to her. And then like weeks go by. This is like a paragraph where she's like, and then he wouldn't talk to me. And then weeks later, he talked to me. (laughs) like, (laughs) Like not even a chapter break, just like in one paragraph. Um, all the boys want to ask her to this dance that she doesn't want to go to. Uh, and she like plans a weekend by herself. And then Edward is like, Hey, I'm just deciding that we're friends now because you seem super into me. Um, we'll hang out that day. It'll be fine. And then he invites her to sit with him at lunch. Andrew, uh-huh. which is very scandalous, very scandalous. No one knows what the deal is. No one sits with those kids. When is this, is this the scene where he eats pizza and is like, oh, if somebody asks you to eat dirt, I bet you could do it too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that might be later. That might be later. No, when I think she that's knows. later after she finds out that he's a vampire. No, this is this is the conversation. That scene was very funny. Like I speak. <laughs> This is the conversation where he's like, so what do you think my deal is? And he's and she almost says Batman or Peter Parker. And I was like, good DC or Marvel question. Very, very good. Ooh, yeah. Um, Silver Age or Infinity Age. What do you want to pick? I don't know. Um, is Infinity Age a age? Uh, um, it's something like that. Oh, crap. Spider-Man gets like cosmic powers, but I don't remember what it's called. All right. Anyway. Um, I think we're already making enough people mad at this episode yeah, so far, so mad. we don't need to get into a comics thing. Nope. Um, then they like hang out in biology class again. Of course, there's a, a lesson where everybody pricks their blood to find out their blood type in right. biology class. Uh-huh. Yeah, everybody did this. <laughs> and she, of course, like passes out because she can't handle needles. And he takes her home, and that's when they listen to... They don't listen to... Uh, Lincoln Park, they listen to Claude Debussy because uh, he's a cultured vampire. Right. Um, I wrote down that it was a missed opportunity that they were not listening to The Cure, which I thought would have been more appropriate. Cure would have been good. If the book had come out later, they could listen to Vampire Weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're like on good terms at this point. And he's like, I got to go away for a little while. Uh, I won't be in school. But when I get back, we'll still be friends. And she's like, cool, cool, cool. I'm going to dream about you all the time. And this is when she goes on a trip <laughs> to the mountains with Mike and the gang, Andrew. With Mike and the gang. I, I'm Mike and the gang fade away about 50% of the way through this book. But I do like the like sub-subplot of Bella like judoing the relationship between Mike and Jessica it felt very true to high school to how high school works because high school teens like so Mike likes Bella and Bella is not interested in Mike because he's human because he's human (laughs) 
but Jess is Bella, super Bella into Mike. picks Bella picks up on Jess liking Mike, and because Mike is a teenage boy, like I'm not it. gonna I'm not gonna say like oh anyone will do, but I think you're at least speaking for myself. I think you can find it in yourself to kind of shift your affections based on who is interested in you. Yeah. I also, <laughs> because it's, I don't know, like it, it's just, it was, it was hard for me to admit to any girl that I liked them. And so yes, that's them true. pre admitting that they liked me was like a very valuable thing to know. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, uh, the Mike Bella thing, it's like presented that she's like very novel. He's clearly known Jess in this small town. So I think there's also a like, oh, he's clueless because they're friends and doesn't. Right. Sure, 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 sure. Um, but that uh, over the course of the book, that seems to work out. But there's like lots of like little notes about like who's riding next to who in the car and who's talking to who at lunch that I thought were actually like pretty well done. Very even teenish. Yeah. yeah. Even though the first half of the book has like no plot, like a bunch of it's stuff even just like happens. the first two thirds of the book is just <laughs> just nothing. Just nothing, nothing, nothing. So they go they go to Goat Rocks, which is where they're hanging out in the mountains, <laughs> and they meet puppy boy named Jacob. Um what's his last name? Black? Black. Jacob Black. Yeah. He is um <clears throat> from the local native reservation and his dad actually sold Bella's dad Bella's truck and and is good and just decent friends with Bella's dad yes yes um and they are hanging out and the Cullens come up and the other like friends and relatives of Jacob are like they're not allowed here and Bella's like hey Jacob why don't we go hang out by ourselves yeah so Bella decides to do a little bit of uh of Man, what's the word I want? Like a little bit of like recon intelligence gathering yes, on sure. Jacob here. And so she socially engineers him <laughs> into telling her all of his tribe's old legends about the cold ones, the which cold is what ones. they call vampires, but it's also what beers are called. And it's so also like cold cuts. Like you don't call cold cuts cold ones. I'm gonna put some cold ones on this sandwich with some mayo. No, no, nobody says that. You say I'm gonna snap a cap off a cold one mm. and get my drink on. People, mm. that's how people talk. The cold, obviously, ones. the cold ones. So Jacob's telling Bella about the six pack of Miller Ice that he has, <laughs> which basically is a long legend about how his people are descended from wolves. And his grandparents or great grandparents or whatever made this treaty with the cold ones, um, of which their leader literally is Carlisle Cullen. <laughs> He's yes. like he just straight up like names him. Um, your people call him vampires, he says, and she's like got goosebumps and he's like, Oh, I'm a good storyteller, huh? And it's unclear like what if Jacob thinks this is all real or not. I presume it's hard to say, like so Jacob's we find out in later books. dad or grandfather or whatever it is. Billy. Is that his name? Yes. Billy. Yeah. He defo thinks it's real. Oh yeah. He knows it's real because he is trying to dissuade Bella from getting close with, with Edward like, Correct. to Noah, to no avail. Yes. Now I know from later books that like team Edward versus team Jacob is a thing. And I know in this book, I don't get how it's it. even remotely a thing because yeah. the only, the only reason the book's story works at all to the extent that it works. So, so what happens after this is um, Bella and Edward get 
closer and closer. Like Bella Googles vampires, I guess, and gets close enough to the truth that Edward is just like, yeah, here's what's up. Eventually, I made it to my favorite search engine, and I went to vampires A to Z. Eventually, I asked Jeeves whether <laughs> the boy whom I love is a vampire. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, she went to her favorite search engine, which, again, just the genericness of Bella knows no bounds. Yep. Um, she guesses close enough to the truth. They work out this weirdo deal where he's going to answer any questions she has and then she has to do the same for him, which seems a little <clears throat> lopsided because his answers are like, yes, I am an immortal vampire. And her answers are like, yeah, I am clumsy and I love my mom. <laughs> Also, my like, here's my favorite gemstone or like whatever questions he's asking her. Um, they do go on a date in the woods where. Yeah. So this is where this is where she finds out, one, that he's a super fast run guy. Yes. He can run so fast. Yes. But also. So fast that it gives her sore emotion sickness. But also they're in a clearing in the sunlight and the sunlight shines on him and he sparkles like gack with glitter in it edward in the sunlight was shocking i couldn't get used to it though i'd been staring at him all afternoon his skin white despite the faint flush from yesterday's hunting trip literally sparkled like thousands of tiny diamonds were embedded in the surface he's also wearing a sleeveless unbuttoned white shirt in this scene and it's blowing my mind <laughs> so he is going like after labor day like come on I know. he's going like full super saiyan in front of her and then she like wants to kiss him and and he's like again their whole relationship is him saying that he is a murderous monster and that he can't control himself around her but he can't resist her and she's like oh i love you too <laughs> and <laughs> uh and she goes to kiss him and he like l- l- like leaps away from her and gets all aggro and is like, oh, I'm a mega predator. You can't resist me. And he like rips a branch off a tree and throws it at another tree. And is like, I'm so dangerous. I can't believe you're with me. And then he like calms down. And he's like, uh, let's. What were we doing? Let's get back I'm so, to this. I'm so dangerous, but let's kind of tentatively think when he, about smooching. Yeah. And then he like freaks her out with his super speed. And he goes, Oh, you're so pale. You're as white as a ghost. To which I need to know, like, do these idioms? not feel weird to anyone when vampires are in the picture like, like do they know ghosts and are those <laughs> like, ghosts sexy also <laughs> like what is the deal um so i wanted to like we so we brushed past the sparkle thing and i think if somebody's gonna gonna refer to twilight in a derogatory way they're gonna be like oh sparkle vampires can i say though actually i kind of like yes the way that the sparkling is worked into Correct vampire conventions yes so the way vampires are understood in fiction in this world is your basic like bram stoker or your dracula sort of sort of uh archetype where can't go out in the sun like hate crosses hate garlic like edward shoots those down one by one but the main one is like vampires don't go out in the sunlight and edward reveals like oh you know that's one with kind of a grain of truth to it because if we went out in the sunlight, we look like a disco ball and that would draw a lot of attention. And so that's why we live in the Pacific Northwest where it rains like 90% of the time. And I guess you could say that that is also maybe why they're so attractive. Like the the level of attraction that they put out. He talks a lot about how it's almost like a like a beautiful carnivorous plant. Like 
they are attracting their prey to them. Oh, sure, yeah, I could um, see. So even that, like, that's an argument in favor of vampires being innately beautiful. Hot. Yeah, like, maybe it is, maybe it is like we're here we're seeing this all through Bella's eyes. It's so an like Instagram maybe, filter. Maybe yeah, maybe it's not even an objective thing. Maybe she's just a human, and so she perceives incredible beauty in all these vampos. Yes, I think that is probably true. Hmm. I kind of like my theory better about Carlisle not wanting any uggos in his family, but two things can be true. <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, so and and yeah, so they're like they're trying to stay low profile, so they can't go out in the sun, so they live where all the clouds are. Um, so again, also we haven't talked about the fact that he can read minds, and we haven't talked about yeah. We mentioned a little bit earlier that that some of the vampires get, when get you superpowers. get turned into a vampire, sometimes the things that were strongest about you in life are magnified. And so in the case of the Collins, that usually manifests as a superpower. So Edward can read most people's <laughs> minds, but not Bella's, but just because that's a plot contrivance that becomes useful later. Yeah. Um, Alice can kind of see the future, but with caveats in so far as like her visions are affected by people's intentions. I kind of like that as a limit on it. It's not that they're like, she's seeing the way the future lays out, but she is seeing if someone's impulses are not changed, what they will do. Like I kind of, mm-hmm. I kind of like that. Jasper, his powers are just to like affect the emotions of people around him, which he usually uses to make people super chill. So he's just a weed dealer. He's like, just, he just comes in the room weed. and like puts on some Jack Johnson and is like, guys, let's just chill. Let's he just puts on He puts on a band that has a little too much bass and shrieking for my taste. That's true. Yes, you're right. Hands around this big rig and everybody just. And s- so they're like, they're good to go at this point. Um, they being Bella and Edward. yeah, Bella and Edward. Like he's still a little nervous about like you know wanting to suck her. all of her blood out of her body. <laughs> he says he gets mad that she's not scared of him enough multiple times, and he like tries to impress upon her how scary he is, and it all it only makes her more attracted to him. <laughs> Just unfortunate. That also feels kind of true to teenager. Yeah, true. Like they all like them bad boys. Um, so like I I don't want to derail our plot discussion too much, but I don't want to. Oh forget. yeah, no, because it's been really yeah. brief and to the point so far. Um, so yeah, two of the two of the things I found in a USA Today article by Kathy Lynn Grossman about um, Mormonism in Twilight is there's this concept of what is called the natural man, which is like to be holy. And to uh, be closer to God, you have to overcome your, like, baser natural instincts. So, like, Edward, the whole book is, like, trying to transcend his base vampireness. Also, in, like, Mormon tradition, angels don't have wings, but they are radiant, beautiful creatures. Mm -hmm. And throughout the book, she refers to him, Bella does, like, as a literal angel. like angelic. Yeah. Um, So it's just, like, a couple little things. And also, like, the larger conversation about abstinence. And they barely, they maybe kiss, like, three or four times. Like... okay. I don't know that I don't think that they kiss more than that, right? I they don't. I do. I have some language pulled up from the book where they get the closest to being physical each, with each other. Sure, and it sure. actually is really like so. So if you want to talk about Twilight as abstinence parable, mm. 
which is something we, we I think, want to do. Um, so this is... Uh, this is Bella and Edward talking about their like their first meetings. Um, he glanced at me grimly. Both of us remembering, you must have thought I was possessed. And this is about how he like got up and ran oh, away yeah, from her in yeah. that first class. I couldn't understand why, how you could hate me so quickly. To me, it was like you were some kind of demon summoned straight from my own personal hell to ruin me. The fragrance coming off your skin. I thought it would make me deranged that first day. In that one hour, I'd thought of a hundred different ways to lure you from the room with me to get you alone. And I fought them each back, thinking of my family, what I could do to them. I had to run out to get away before I could speak the words that would make you follow. He looked up then at my staggered expression as I tried to absorb his bitter memories. His golden eyes scorched from under his lashes, hypnotic and deadly. You would have come, he promised. I tried to speak calmly, without a doubt. And then I wrote in a comment in my Kindle app, Welp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really, they are pitted as a, as a partnership that can only end in like tragic violent sex. Like in some, yeah, in some kind of, of, of tragedy. Um, their physical if they interact with each other too physically like only danger results you have another quote yeah no i just i was going to go back to that huffpo article oh, by yeah, um, yeah. sarah seltzer that, that we talked about um and she's talking about so let's talk about abstinence for a minute sure I think abstinence in and of itself, if that's something you strongly believe that you want to like save yourself for a person yeah. that that you think is is right or like for marriage or for whatever specific thing, that in and of itself, I don't think is a bad thing. I think the bad thing is that abstinence in a lot of especially like American evangelical culture is sure. tied to an abstinence only form of sex education Yes. That I, as somebody who sort of came up in that sort of culture, I very, very deeply believe harms everyone regardless of whether you intend to abstain or not. Oh, sure. And yeah. so I think when, when people talk about Twilight as abstinence parable, they are thinking about that, like that that's, form of, of that's abstinence what they, education, even yeah. though that that it's not necessarily forwarded as the only right thing to do in in the book it's just that no you're right when you when you think about abstinence you think about people telling you oh you're going to be ruined oh you're you're doing this horrible sinful thing when you don't abstain from having sex where in reality you are teaching a bunch of young people whose bodies are just gonna do things because that's what bodies do you're teaching them like really harmful habits that are going to affect them like even if they do save themselves from marriage they're not going to know a lot of stuff about just like the mechanics and how to keep yourself safe and how to prevent pregnancy and how to like enable pregnancy like there, there's just a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of stuff to know and when you tell people oh just don't worry about it because you're not supposed to do it because because of that's the only yeah. way to do it. Like that's that's harmful and it sucks. That's not something that Twilight specifically forwards, but I think it's so like closely tied up with any discussion of abstinence that that we have to talk about it here. So yeah. that's, that's what yeah. I have to say about abstinence only education. I think it's terrible, and regardless of what your I guess religious beliefs are about abstinence, I think 
there there is you only you only harm people by not equipping them for this thing that they will probably do at some point in their lives one way or the other. Yeah, the way uh, what you're speaking to is a culture that would rather wipe things under the rug than actually have a a, a nuanced discussion as to why you might not want to do something. Mm-hmm. Like just coming up with a reason for you to not do it as opposed to just being like, "Hey, but like why are you interested in doing it in the first place? Like, let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, and I think there are opportunities, like if you are talking about Twilight with another person or talking about it with a teen who's reading it, like you could maybe open up a conversation about impulses and things like that. But I do think the the relationship that is here is is there for you to seize on kind of the abstinence model. If you yeah. Um, to. So, so this is to get back to the seltzer piece. Um, she's talking about so so in this in this book in this relationship, Bella is the one who wants the wants sex to go. Equivalent. Yeah, like she she by the end is full on like yo make me a vampire like I want this and we yes. can talk more about that in a little bit but um, she is she is doing that and Edward is the one who's saying no let's think about this no are you sure like no I'm not comfortable with this yeah and Seltzer says uh, now that's a real fantasy a world where young women are free to describe their desires openly and launch themselves at men without shame while said boyfriends are sexual gatekeepers Twilight's sexual flowchart is the inversion of abstinence only purity ball culture where girls are told they must guard themselves against rabid boys and that they must rein in both their own and their suitors impulses but even while inverting the positions, Meyer doesn't change the game. Purity is still the goal. Men or vampires are still dangerous and threatening, while females are still breakable and fragile. Intercourse still has the potential of resulting in quote-unquote death, just as it once relegated women to a social death. The only difference is the controls are handed over from the teenage girl to the guy, who happens, in this case, to be totally responsible and upright. So, yeah, yeah it's definitely getting at the heart of... These are the actual like kind of interesting inversions that Meyer is getting to. And then this is <laughs> where they kind of play into established tropes. Anyway. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It would be uh, OK. We don't normally do this on the show, but like just talking about how to complicate Edward because he is kind of perfect in a way that like obviously he needs to be a perfect vampire boy for he's kind of rad because he's been alive for a hundred and something years and so he's just great at everything because he's had so much time like he's great at piano yeah he's great at Debussy and Lincoln Park he's <laughs> great at their weird like wait we can't macro talk about scale no, baseball we can't talk about baseball we can't talk, yet. About, we can't talk baseball about baseball yet, baseball yet. <laughs> um but he does he if his lust for her <laughs> Like, because it it causes him problems, right? But he we never see the result of those. If it he really him... he does get blood balls a couple yeah. of times. He does, oh god, he does get blood balls. If <laughs> if he did go out and like commit an act of violence, or um, and I'm not advocating for that, and like I don't, I don't, uh, it's it would be a gross situation, right? But like if he is not for to show a character not totally in control could help to break down some of these like stereotypical structures um i don't know i i don't i don't know that, that would ultimately make the story better or not but i think like the fact that he is kind of perfect in his purity does play into some of the established tropes yeah even though like he he is presented as having many moments of weakness including like the pivotal 
book ending yeah yeah moment where he has to to put to put his like virtue to the test more or less he doesn't fail ever so yeah i don't know when you want to talk about thunderstorm mountain well so okay let's just talk about the last (laughs) third of the book which is like basically when everything happens it's a different book where stuff happens and (laughs) um she goes to the vampire house to meet all the vampires and they're like oh so good to meet you hey tomorrow we'll see you for that game of baseball that we want to play it's supposed Mm -hmm. to rain and she's like Mm -hmm. baseball and edward's like it's america's pastime and they journey out into the woods and charlie at this point her dad has met edward as her boyfriend like that like little story beat happens and then it's like lost five over. seconds and yep. we aren't even talking about how edward just like sneaks into her room and stays there all, all night, the time like, under the covers with her and, and he's he's been like sh- li- like creeping outside her window listening to her talk in her sleep for like months and he it's... loves like breathing her in. <laughs> just because i'm resisting the wine doesn't mean i can't appreciate the bouquet he Ew. answered okay. you have a very floral smell like lavender or freesia okay. he noted it's mouthwater. I take it back. <laughs> Edward's not perfect. He's a creepo. Um, but so they go to the mountains to play baseball. And uh-huh. sh- and the whole time, Bella is like, this baseball field is too big. What's going on? <laughs> they play God baseball. And they're really good at it. They're so good at it that like when they hit the ball, it sounds like thunder. So they have to play during a thunderstorm. So nobody, yeah, so everybody thinks that there it's is, just a thunderstorm and not vampire baseball. And like there's this thing where they're running the bases and two of them run into each other and it sounds like like boulders falling off a cliff or something. There so you did when you were growing up, Andrew, did anyone ever tell you that thunder was god bowling? Yes. So I think thunder is just vampires playing baseball is what I'm going to say. I also, Any little did kids you, now? Did you ever get anybody telling you that raining was just God peeing? No, no one ever said that to me. Who said that to you? Somebody said it in elementary school. They were telling it. They were telling a joke. Um, I found God baseball so funny. I couldn't <laughs> believe that it was in the book. I it reminded me there's a really great old Bugs Bunny cartoon where Bugs Bunny plays baseball by himself against a bunch of other jerkos and it uh-huh. like they were playing all oh, the vampires were playing all the positions and just running around cuz they run so far and so fast. Uh, so good and they played god baseball so good that they attracted other they, evil uh, yeah, vampires. They attract the attention of evil vampires and they kind of have this weird little meetup where the evil vampires are like, oh, your way of life is kind of interesting to us. We're just passing through. Don't worry about us. And then one of them smells Bella and they're like, oh, you smell so mouthwater. You must be a tasty human. And and they act like they're not going to eat her, but they're definitely going to eat her. And so the whole last third of the book is all the good vampires running around trying to defend Bella from this one evil, like omnipotent vampire. So his, his name is James, excuse James me. James the vampire. And mm-hmm. he is a tracker. They call him, which means he is like, he, he is, obs- he gets his prey and then he can't not track it down and kill it. Um, and the, the, like his friend Victoria is just there to help, I guess. And their third vampire, Laurent, goes to their house and is like, oh man, I'm so sorry about James. He sucks. I got to run away. Bye. Like, he's yeah, just... bye. I'm really sorry that I 
brought this thing upon you by. And so then, like, Bella has to pretend to run away from Forks, and they hide her in a hotel room, and they get visions of a vampire hanging out with a VCR, and they're worried that he's going to go to Phoenix to kidnap her mom. And lo and behold, the vampire, he, he, he tricks her into escaping from the other good vampires. Yeah, because she thinks that he has her mom. Yes. And, and that the only way to save her mom is to go and get Et. Is to go and get Et. And so she goes there and she discovers that he was just using the VCR to trick her. <laughs> <laughs> the oldest trick in the book. He like stole her home movies and like played them over the over the, the phone, phone. Yeah. Which is kind of amazing. And then just as he's about to kill her, she passes out or whatever. I think Well, because she's like he has bitten her a little. She tries to run and he like throws her into the they're in this like ballet studio for some reason. And he throws Bella against the mirror and like the mirror breaks and it cuts her head. Do they ever talk about whether or not he has a reflection in the mirror? No, they they don't talk about that. Mm. No, they don't talk about it. Yeah. So then he like beats her up. And breaks her leg and bites her. And then she kind of wakes up as they are saving her. As the Collins are getting there. And so she's feeling this like fiery pain emanating from her hand, which is where she got bit. And then Carlisle's like, yo, Edward, somebody got to suck the poison out of her. (laughs) And Edward's like, no, I'm so scared I won't be able to stop doing it. And he's like... Well, she's gonna die either way. So you got it if you don't if you don't want her to be a vampire. You got to do it. And so he sucks all the vampire poison out of her, but he almost also sucks all the blood out of her. <laughs> <laughs> but then he stops just before he does that. Yes, he pulled out, and she didn't die. And everybody knows the pull out method doesn't work. Yes, um, it's not an effective form of birth control. Please consult a doctor or something if you're trying to prevent contraception and then or no if you're trying to prevent regular conception contraception is already (laughs) preventing conception and then she wakes up in a hospital and edward's like totally cool how's it going and her mom's there and and she's like hey this boy seems really into you and she's like yeah mom i know i'm crazy for him and she's like hey edward what if you made me a vampire and he's like i don't know about that yeah i don't you're like you're 17 and are like you're are you cool to be immortal while your parents die and i just feel like you haven't thought this through her arguments like my parents are whatever they'll be fine yeah i don't have i don't like people i'm i'd be cool i've known you for six weeks and you don't always seem to like me and you're very controlling but i also want to be a vampire with you forever yeah and then there's an epilogue where he takes her to prom (sighs) to bake to to for her to have a normal human life after so he takes her to prom after a vampire broke her leg and she's at prom in a cast (laughs) and then jacob comes and he's like are you sure and she's like, "Yeah, I'm sure." And then we well, never no, heard Jacob from comes Jacob and he's again. like, and Jacob comes and he's like, Billy says not to date Edward again because he already said that yes. earlier, but he's no. saying it again. No, Jacob's grandpa rules because Jacob shows up and he's like, "My grandpa told me he would pay me in car parts if I came to your prom and told you not to date Edward." <laughs> <laughs> 
And she's like, no, nah, I'm going to date Edward. And and he's like, okay, cool. You're pretty. Bye. And then Edward walks up. And he's like, is this what jealousy feels like? Humans are weak. Ah, I hate that boy. And, and he's I like, I just boy. want you to have a human life. And she's like, I would never go to prom, you weird vampire. <laughs> <laughs> Make me a vampire. <laughs> And it ends with him like kissing her neck or something in a way but that's not like sort of a bite, but not, her, right? not breaking the skin. Yeah. So that's so okay. So so we've been kind of bagging. We've been having our we've been having our fun, having our. I goofs. think we've been lovingly and fairly dragging the book. Yeah, I was actually surprised at how it's been fun once we hit record on the microphones. But like, even as I was reading it, I was not like just raring to to dunk on it in the same way that I did. Yeah, I minded it so much less than (laughs) any of the Fifty Shades books. And and I think that's partially because, um, I don't know, I I think it is more successfully reaching its audience. Like, you know, we've talked a little bit about the intended YA audience and um, it's it's tapping into a teen voice pretty successfully. I think like, you want to zoom out a little bit and talk about the gender politics and maybe well, you yeah. have some good complaints there, but I just, <laughs> the, the style of writing fits the, the audience pretty well. Yeah. And I think even the style of characterization where Bella is, I mean, unfortunately she's specific in some ways that are yeah. not great, but in many other ways, she's kind of a cipher and you can insert yourself into this thing. I think like the the main thing for me that doesn't work and it's unfortunately it's something the entire book turns on is Edward loves Bella so strongly and so instantly like they can't bear to be apart is is number 1 but two Edward's love for Bella who is this completely unexceptional boring nothing person Yes. It's supposed to be so strong and so evident that it instantly convinces Edward's vampire family, even the ones who don't care for Bella, yeah, to go out of their way and endanger their own un- there's lives this, there's to, this, to protect her. You know? There's this bizarre thing that they talk about, and maybe it's elaborated in later books. And that's another thing that we haven't really done too many caveats about. But like, we can't weigh in on Team Edward versus Team Jacob because we don't really know about Jacob's team. We don't know how he runs his operation. I just um, do. <laughs> we don't. There's just other things about the lore that we don't have full access to. But like, they allude a couple times to this idea that the vampires. Um, they like meet someone who's like the, it's like their specific genetic heroine or like some sort of powerful match for them that it's unclear if some of the other vampires have already made those people into vampires and then they like party down forever like that um it also seems like some of the vampires in the Cullen family have like paired off as boyfriend girlfriend or husband and wife and you so see, like, every person smells different has a different essence if you locked an alcoholic in a room full of stale beer he'd gladly drink it but he could resist if he wished to if he were a covering alcoholic now let's say you placed in that room a glass of hundred year old brandy the rarest finest cognac 
and filled the room with its warm aroma, how do you think you would fare? Then we sat silently looking into each other's eyes, trying to read each other's thoughts. He broke the silence first. Maybe that's not the right comparison. Maybe it would be too easy to turn down the brandy. Perhaps I should have made our alcoholic a heroin addict instead. So what you're saying is, I'm your brand of heroin? I teased, trying to lighten the mood. He smiled swiftly, seeming to appreciate my effort. Yes, you are exactly my brand of heroin. Does that happen often, I asked. He looked across the treetops, thinking through his response. I spoke to my brothers about it. He still stared into the distance. To Jasper, every one of you is much the same. He's the most recent to join our family. It's a struggle for him to abstain at all. He hasn't had time to grow sensitive to the differences in smell, in flavor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's presented as maybe she's some sort of like soulmate to him. But I don't think that Meyer does a good enough job or, or maybe just doesn't like spell out what she means when he, when she is trying to say that like Bella is some sort of like unique thing to Edward and not yeah, just a, and- not just like a really expensive brandy to drink. But like a brandy or like that, really good smack. Yeah, I guess. but like a brandy <laughs> that he would like want to marry forever. Like, I don't know. She doesn't really elaborate on like, is there some sort of vampire soulmate practice that he's been? The the other family members are like, oh, Edward's always been the lonely one. He's so different around you, right? Yeah. And that's and that's why they're willing to defend her, even though they barely know her, and they're willing to take her in, even though the act of even being around her surely is difficult for them. Yeah, it's it's underbaked. And and it's it's and it we only really spend time with him in the second half of the book anyway, so it's like we don't really get to unpack it. Yeah, but but like so that and that it's the crux of the back third of the book really makes that part of the book not work for me. Like as bored as I was with the first two thirds where nothing was <laughs> happening, that back third where I'm supposed to look at Bella and think that she is such a singular personality that she could convince this family of super powerful undead beings to to risk their to like, risk whole their way own, of life. Yeah. Yeah. Um and this is this is people so I've I shared a couple of quotes that I think are okay on our Facebook page that I thought were uh were apt. Um, aggravated, I snapped off the computer's main power switch, not waiting to shut the things down properly. Uh, I knew I was far too stressed to sleep, so I did something I'd never done before. I deliberately took unnecessary cold medicine. Like This is somebody whose life has been so devoid of challenges or <laughs> ad- adversity that there's just nothing going on here. Yeah, and they and she, Meyer doesn't build on the challenges and adversity that are what already present for the character, like, like she, the family stuff. Yeah, yes, like she has a really the stuff with her dad is like actually pretty easy. There is like the the inkling of a scene where she has to like lie to him about why she's running away to protect him from the evil vampires. Like that is a well realized dramatic beat. That has no setup whatsoever. Yeah, <laughs> like it doesn't build on their relationship together because part of the the narrative function of their relationship is that he is doesn't need to be around because they're like they tolerate each other. They're not particularly close, but they actually discover that they like that about each other, 
and it basically just creates an excuse for her to be able to run away with Shiny Boy whenever she wants. Right, but like, but like the scenes where she cooks for him and he's really hesitant to eat it because her mom apparently was a super yeah, bad cook. Yeah, But then they use that as a proxy. Like Meyer uses that as a proxy to show them together forming a sort of relationship and and becoming closer together. I thought that was really sweet, mm-hmm. and I wish there had been more of that more than than what we got yeah but also like to bring it back to the intended audience conversation i think the stuff that we find frustrating about like this attractive woman and attractive man seeing each other and instantly falling like i would take a bullet for you in love with each other sure i think that is appealing to teens i think teens are more like interested or or like more more um credulous i guess of that kind of relationship and like that kind of instant smittenness it matches it matches with how you feel about people when you are that age right because you're like everybody's first relationship it feels like i I, i'm not gonna say everybody but that the first time you feel those feelings about somebody, you imagine that, you know, how could you ever feel this way about anybody else? How could anybody yep. understand the way you feel about this person? Like it's a lot of, you know, because this is the first time I have felt it. I'm a teen. And so I assume it's the first time anybody's. Felt yeah. It. I, I actually, uh, I just watched lady bird yesterday and I thought that actually did a really good job. Oh, that movie's super good. Yeah. And I thought that that did a really good job of capturing the, like, that oh i we just started dating and everything feels wonderful and like we're gonna be joking around laying in a field talking about kids because like we're in high school and that's just how strongly we think we feel right now and then Mm -hmm. i'm gonna cross your name out when our thing goes bad because you're dead to me now (laughs) (laughs) the 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 intensity of those emotions is something that this book is really interested in and could certainly appeal to someone who thinks their life is operating at a similar wavelength, uh-huh. um, I think. I also, so, again, our scheme, I think we read it in reverse maybe, but we've talked a bit about how the Fifty Shades books were started as Twilight fan fiction. And so then reading Twilight actually I understand me... so much more about Fifty Shades of Grey now. <laughs> There's like weird, I had weird deja vu Every time that Edward told Bella to eat something, I was like, oh, my God. In in Fifty Shades, that's obviously like a different part of his control of her. And in here, it's like this weird thing where Edward doesn't eat, but he needs her to eat. And it's just, pres- oh, God. Yeah, and, and so, so my thing was, so in Fifty Shades, we thought it was pretty creepy how he was stalking her all the time. Yes. And he always knew where she was. Yes. And he could always show up to wherever she was within like 20 minutes. And we even, like, I, I listened to our 30 Shades, or our man, 30 our, Shades episode. 30 Shades, which was the prequel. <laughs> I listened to our 50 Shades episodes in anticipation of doing this again, just so I would be more equipped to talk about this. Mm-hmm. But we even talk about like how he must have a jetpack because that's the only <laughs> way this stuff would work. And so I read Twilight and it's like, oh, he didn't need like a helicopter and a yes. bunch of staff to like keep tabs because he can read everybody's mind and he can run so fast that yes. he can be anywhere, anytime. Correct. Correct. Yeah, it's so wild how 
easily that maps but also with no none of the explanation <laughs> like he is just edward who isn't a vampire <laughs> it's so and but he has all the same trouble with his feelings and she can't resist and she's a klutz with, with like a, she's a nothing klutz like, and he's like controlling but we're supposed to think that it's endearing uh, you spied on me, Bella says, but somehow I couldn't infuse my voice with the proper outrage. I was flattered. Yeah, I like, didn't that like that sucks. passage at all. I thought that passage sucked when she is like, oh, you sit outside my house and listen to my dreams. Cool. Our relationship couldn't continue to balance as it did on the point of a knife. We would fall off one edge or the other, depending entirely upon his decisions or his instincts. That's not great. Also, like painting it as like a, a thing that she's already decided to do. And in doing that, she just gives all the control over to this dude. Yeah. So I've seen some interviews where that like Meyer is trying to respond to that critique and like saying that Bella has choice in this book. And I really don't buy it. The whole book is structured with just a bunch of things happening to and around Bella. Well, just she from the very first minute she sees Edward is just like, she's just smitten and she's given, she is given other choices insofar that there are other boys she could date, I guess. And you're going to, if you're going to reduce choice down to that, like that also sucks for yeah, different reasons. Yeah, it really does. But their relationship is set up to be like this inexorable thing that nobody can get in the way of. Maybe in subsequent books, the Team Jacob thing does feel plausible, but it in no way feels plausible in, in this. No, not at all. Not at all. They are they are going to be together, and it's just whether or not she's going to die. <laughs> Like maybe I mean we might be like mis misconstruing Edward versus Jacob. It could be purely a fan thing. Like I know Twilight has inspired tons and tons of fan fiction. Yes, that's true. It might just be a popular ship that like broke into uh, the public consciousness. I don't know. I think there is some something happens. There must be something in the text to yeah back it up but i just don't feel man people are losing their minds listening to us talk about this right now I and know. i kind of don't want anyone every, to spoil it everybody wants us to read all the other ones and we probably will everyone shut up everybody well that's a, shut up about it everyone shut up that's been a great episode 300 that's a great way to end i think is everyone just shut up about it do you have any other thoughts on the big three hundo on the big three hundo just that i'm amazed that we have people who've been listening to us for this long and are like still into it and that new people keep coming on board is what helps keep me like oh man we gotta honor the people who've been here the whole time and we gotta keep doing cool stuff for the new people like it's a great problem to have of like a fandom i can like remember from the lean times and <laughs> like a, a growing listenership based on what we've been consciously trying to do with the show for the past couple of years. So like, that's my big thought is just that, Hey, this is a pretty neat, bizarre thing where people were excited to hear what we had to say about twilight. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> people were We heard a lot. And I hope that we, I hope that we were exciting enough. I feel like this book has been so, picked over and yeah, picked over and i know we've read a bunch of books like 
infinite jest. Yeah, like we're gonna bring original thoughts to the table about infinite jest, but maybe it's just like our friendship and our I don't know, like our vibe, our way of talking about it that yeah. appeals to people. Uh huh. That's it. Anything else you want to say about the big three hundo? You got any more three hundo facts for me? Just the trying to well, we've been doing this for five years. This is probably the longest I've done one thing like continuously. Yeah. Like professionally. Yeah. Semi professionally. That's earned me money. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the only thing that matters. It is the only thing that matters because I am Bella and money is Edward. <laughs> and I need it. I'm gonna watch I'm gonna watch money kiss you, but not go too far. <laughs> um Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you have thoughts on the Big Three Hundo, you can send them in at overduepod at gmail.com. If you have Twilight spoilers that you want to send us, you can send them to our Facebook and Twitter accounts at overduepod. Thanks to Aaron, Michael, Megan, Rob, Frankenpod, Dennis, Kelly, Shay, Jacob, Adam, and many more who have reached out to us on social media uh, during the past couple days. It helps us know what you are like into on recent episodes and it's just a great way to hear from y'all andrew what the part with the website hit me overduepodcast.com is that website we have up there links to the books that we have read and are going to read you can click those buy them through amazon and you can read along and also we get a little bit of a cut of that we really appreciate it Um, We also have links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and our RSS feed. You can use those to subscribe to the show and get new episodes on Mondays and also bonus episodes whenever we drop them. We do have coming up, not this week, I think, but next week after our episode about The Power by by Naomi Alderman, we have our first public Stop Homer Time episode. We've had fun doing those so far. We hope you guys have fun listening to it. We can't wait to hear what you think. Um, anything else? We have a link to our Patreon project. That's patreon.com slash overdue pod. If you want to support us financially and make us do stuff for you, that is the best way to do it. Here's our June schedule. Yeah, we got it me. for you. I heard the owl call my name by Margaret Craven. Child Childhood's End by Arthur C. Clarke. Mistborn by Brandon Sanderson. The Book of Unknown Americans by Christina Enriquez. And Aristotle Detective by Margaret Duty. It's going to be a month, y'all. It's going to be a month. Aristotle Detective. And don't forget, we're doing that live show June 23rd, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, uh, Philly Improv Theater, 1.30 p.m., Andrew's show at noon. Come see us. More information at phillypodfest.com. Yeah, and we'll be, we'll be putting out calls over Facebook and Twitter, and, and you guys will have plenty of time to get tickets and to, to make plans. Um, Maybe we'll yeah, try and find a hangout place afterwards. We'll let you know. Yeah, I think we'll we'll definitely try to do that. Um, so the boy whom I love is a vampire. Also, blood tastes sadness. <laughs> so dumb. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening to 300 episodes of this, suckers. <laughs> Until next week, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.